what is government and does God really care about it or are we just out here on our own flailing about trying to get things right without him being involved? This question and more on today's principles and policies. Hello, I'm Chuck Michaelis. I'm the chair of the Institute for Principled Policy. And normally my broadcast partner, Barry Sheets, is here with me. Uh, as you can hear from the silence, uh, he is not here today. And one of the reasons we haven't really recorded a, a new show, we've been playing a lot of uh, our, our best of shows from the archives. One of the reasons that uh, he's not here with me is that he is still undergoing treatment for cancer. He's doing uh, as well as can be expected. It's metastatic uh, uh, kidney cancer that has met- metastasized to his bones. And so um, it's a he's got a uh, tough row to hoe, but uh, he is doing well. And um, I, I would uh, uh, ask um, that you folks out there um, would please keep Barry in prayer. And pray fervently for his complete recovery. Um, what he's doing uh, to fight it is is a good thing. He's taking immunotherapy and he's he's uh, doing some natural things to uh, enhance his uh, immune system response and and those kinds of things. So again, I asked that you would continue to pray for Barry and pray for me that I can get through these shows by myself. Um, um, that, that can be an issue. I, I want to point out that this is our program for, uh, January 7th, 2023. Um, that's our little time marker. So you can tell we're running a rerun when we put them back on the air. Um, one of the things that is, uh, I'm sure that you're all paying attention to is what's going on in Washington, DC. Um, for obvious reasons, um, it, it is um, uh, it, it ha- has a profound effect on our lives. Who's in office? Uh, what they're planning on doing? What the agenda is? Uh, who they're beholden to? We know who they're supposed to be beholden to. They they don't call them representatives for nothing. They're supposed to be beholden to us, but very often. Uh, they have, shall we say, a mixed bag of interests, uh, some of it having to do with getting reelected. And, 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 of course, being reelected in this day and age requires money, as it always has. Um, um, uh, let's not kid ourselves. If, you're, if you are uh, democratically elected, you need to spend a little money. And even if that just includes uh, uh, going around in your district... And wearing out your shoes to knock on doors, uh, although with the way the modern uh, representative districts, at least for the House of Representatives, is is constituted, you have about, I think, 750,000 constituents. That that was never the, (laughs) the design that the founders came up with. They had a minimum number of representatives that we were supposed to have. And I think that was 30,000. Each representative was supposed to uh, um, 
represent 30,000 people. Well, the uh, number of representatives was frozen years ago. And even if it wasn't, if you think about if you had 30,000 representatives per uh, 30,000 constituents per representative uh, at 330 million people, there would be uh, so many representatives. That you, it would become an unruly mob. You, you couldn't govern it, and you couldn't uh, possibly uh, take good care of it, and it couldn't really probably get anything done, uh, which may or may not be a bad thing. Um depending upon your viewpoint. But that being said, um, think about what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. There is a big battle about who's going to be Speaker of the House. Well, uh, there is a candidate for Speaker of the House on the Republican side. The Democrats realize they're not going to get a Democratic Speaker of the House. Uh, the, the number of Democrats is too low to get a majority of the votes. And even though in our past uh, we have had cross-party uh, speakers of the House, because the people in the office were considered to be such outstanding statespeople, uh, statesmen, that they were uh, elected by a majority of the House and people crossed party lines to, to vote for uh, these speakers. I can't think of the the who 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 that was it was i think 19th century so early in the republic uh and uh, the uh, uh the goals and and uh, um ideas behind the two different parties weren't all that different there of course there were differences or there wouldn't be two parties but the fact is at the time um they weren't so divergent as they are now they got more divergent and what's interesting is uh last time i heard the the last count i had of the number of votes and i'm not sitting up at night watching these things there's no point in it um there is a battle going on but in 1859 the battle for speaker went, I think, 111 ballots. Now, we're making a big deal because I think we're up to 12. 12 or 13 ballots for the Speaker of the House. And he cannot pull it off. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the uh, leading Republican candidate for the Speaker, he can't pull it off because there are a, a strong-willed core of... Uh, of conservatives who are saying, no, we're not going to vote for you because, well, the, I will quote directly, you're a swamp creature. What does that mean? That means that he is be not beholden necessarily to the conservative values of the Republican Party, whatever those might be, folks. I, I, let's not get into that. But, um, but he is beholden to uh, the big party donors, the big corporate party donors, the Chamber of Commerce, and the uh, um, the the, rata, the business interests who you know, weapons manufacturers, and not just alone, but pharmaceutical companies, uh, oil companies. Although they all, all those also give to the Democratic Party, 
But the Speaker of the House of Representatives wields a huge amount of power regarding... He, he, he is involved in picking all the chairmen of the committees. He's involved... And money passes hands. Uh, Ron Paul has made it clear that money has to pass hands for you to get a chairmanship. In other words, if you want a chairmanship, you've got to come across... Now, it doesn't go directly into the chairman's pocket. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, into the speaker's pocket. It goes into into election uh, and uh, administrative funds. Uh, and then the chairman kind of decides if, if you give the chair problems during the session of Congress, the chair can actually use uh, when you get these appeals from the Republican National Committee or from the uh, uh, the representative uh, uh, re-election committees the uh, uh, NRCC uh, National Republican uh, nah, can't remember but if you get these appeals uh, these are people who are actually uh, the chairman will decide that I don't want that representative in the seat. We're going to make sure he gets a primary. This is why so many um, actual true conservatives find themselves actually fighting their own party for the nomination because what do, what does the chairman want? Especially, this is, um, it happens on the Democrat side at least as much. Um uh, but, uh, uh, Republicans have been terrible about it. Uh, Paul Ryan, remember when Paul Ryan was going to be the savior and, and we went through the same thing. The, the conservatives were not going to elect Paul Ryan. Uh, and after John Boehner, uh, stepped down and John Boehner did this as well. And so did Denny Hastert and so did Newt Gingrich. Um, Let's not kid ourselves, folks. This was they all they all do this because the again, the Speaker of the House wields tremendous power, and if he wants to push a certain agenda, agenda, and perhaps the uh, Chamber of Commerce wants something or some business interest wants something, um, they come in and say, you know, you got to get rid of this representative. So, and if they agree, they'll say, okay. And they put money into the whoever is going to primary this conservative they want to broom out. Don't kid yourself. This happens all the time. Because what you usually find is that he's also a gadfly to local. Uh, Ohio is infamous for being a, uh, a, a rhino club. And by rhino, I mean Republican in name only. And what that means is they're not actually conservatives. They're... Uh, um, they are Chamber of Commerce clones. Uh, they are uh, essentially um, center-left in their political viewpoint. And when a real conservative comes along, the party makes it extremely difficult for them. The party runs people against them, even though they're not supposed to do that. There are rules inside the parties that say that the party apparatus and the central committees and that kind of thing is not are not supposed to endorse candidates prior to uh, primaries. They're supposed to stay out of that. My gosh, 
folks, on the last election, a couple of election cycles, I get things from people in primaries that I wouldn't vote for for dog catcher or drain commissioner, and they've got the uh, state central committee endorsement. They're not supposed to be able to get that. And the reason they can is because you don't understand that for the most part. Sorry to tell you, you don't understand that for the most part. And also, the rank and file don't understand it, and they can get away with it. Why can they get away with it? Because nobody really complains because they've broomed out all the conservatives from the central committees. So what you've got going on in the House of Representatives is that the uh, as happened with Paul Ryan as well, this happened with Paul Ryan, there was a revolt. And there were a core, enough of a core of true conservatives who said, we're not voting for you for speaker. Well, what does that do? They can't get the, the number of votes they need to get over the top. So the negotiations start. Now, why are they being so hardcore on this one? Because there are enough of them around who remember Paul Ryan. Because what Paul Ryan did was make a bunch of concessions to the conservatives to get the job. Remember when you thought Paul Ryan was a conservative? <laughs> and then all these things that have come out since. Well, some of us knew he was not a conservative. But in any case, um, he made a lot of concessions and a lot of promises and said, uh, okay, I will... Uh, uh, I'll give you this and this and this and this had to do with chairmanships. It had to do with who could be members of, of the executive executive committee and blah, 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 and rules about, uh, what could be in how to amend bills and all kinds of things. Well, the first thing that Paul Ryan did was ignore the agreement. Um, he, he essentially, turn the uh, party apparatus, the, the House apparatus over to the Democrats and the uh, uh, rhinos beholden to uh, the big big money interests. And voila, we're back to square one. Conservatives get nothing. Um, and uh, uh, the, the rhinos run the party. And, and how do they get away with that? Well, they make conservative noises when it's time to get reelected. But during the rest of their tenure, they they vote uh, left, you know, center left politics. They they make coalition things with the Democrats to to raise taxes and to get regulatory uh, things passed that should never pass. Passing environmental legislation that's detrimental to the country and to business. Um, this, you know, you, you get crossover votes all the time for different reasons, but uh, don't kid yourself. Uh, we have, uh, there are representatives who are, who want to do the right thing and can't because, A, they've been told if you don't, if you do that, if you don't do it our way, the uh, chair, uh, speakers of the House at both the uh, state level and uh, the national level, also uh, Senate majority leaders, same thing. If you don't vote our way on this bill, if you abandon us, you will get no reelection money. You will get no support from from this office, and we'll make sure that the party pulls the rug out from under your feet. Um, 
And some of these guys aren't really smart enough to fight that off. Uh, I'm sorry to say. Um, so um, this is what's going on in D.C. The, the 20 that are the holdouts that will not vote for uh, Paul, uh, Paul Ryan, uh, won't vote for uh, Kevin McCarthy for speaker, are holding out to get real concessions and in writing this time and uh, essentially set in stone. Now, McCarthy has given on some of this stuff, but he knows what it's doing and it's eating away at his power. Remember, folks, these people are... Kevin McCarthy wants the status and he wants the power. He's been in leadership uh, all along for many, many years, uh, waiting for his time to step in and get the speakership of the House, despite the fact that Republicans really look like they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want to be in charge. Um, but let's not forget that uh, um, um, what, what these guys want to do, they, they want to walk a tight rope. They want to walk a white line. And what that means is they do just enough conservative stuff to keep the, the rank and file happy, but they do enough liberal stuff to keep their Democrat colleagues happy and to keep uh, the big business interests who want to con continue to get subsidies and government support and all kinds of perks available which tends to make the uh um the rank and file angry well how how is it that they can continue to do this well folks let's not kid ourselves there's a reason why there's an alternative media out there and that is because the alternative media is actually reporting on these things while the mainstream media puts a spin on it now i won't kid you that the alternative media also isn't spun but if you look at one set of spin doctors and another set of spin doctors, you'll usually find, A, that the mainstream media is absolutely expert at it. The, the guys in the, in the alternative media are coming to you and saying, yes, I have, a I have a biased viewpoint. What I'm telling you is, is completely my own opinion, and I'm coming to it from this standpoint the news media say oh no we're neutral we have no standpoint we we have no viewpoint we have no no hidden agenda and the, and the alternative media says no we have an agenda we're trying to get back to a balanced system well which one do you trust i i trust somebody who's coming at me and telling me that and that means i i have it's an easier thing for me to filter out the bias and the propaganda when I know where the person's coming from. Now I know where the mainstream media is coming from because I've studied them for years and so have many of you. But the fact is there, they are a, uh, a pack of propagandists. They have a, a far left agenda. Uh, you didn't have to, uh, be very wide awake during the Trump administration to see that uh, the news media is mostly globalists. They're, they are willing to say and do anything, anything. They, the Trump-Russia hoax was a five-year-long fallacy. 
pumped out from places like CNN, and now you know C- now that CNN is exposed, that nobody watches it. Nobody's been watching it for years. Even Fox News came out and was uh, proved that the at least the news side. <laughs> The news side is center left and and definitely not conservative. Now their commentary side is very conservative, and there was a battle inside Fox News because the uh, the news side was very unhappy with the commentary side and actively worked to get some of those guys suspended and fired. So look, uh, it happens everywhere. Uh, they don't want the message out there because this is why Twitter, uh, YouTube, Google, Instagram, uh, Facebook have all been caught censoring. Why? They don't want a particularly nationalistic and patriotic viewpoint out there. Because if it looks like there are actually others who have this viewpoint, then people will rally to that to that thing. So what did they do? They just said, okay, you're shadow banned. What shadow banning? Shadow banning is they limit the number of people who can actually see your posts. They limit the number of people. And sometimes they just say no one, zero, can see your posts. So you'll post something. Uh, Twitter was ex- especially egregious about this. You'll post things. You You can see it, and nobody else can. That's a shadow ban. Sometimes they just outright ban you. They they outright ban the president of the United States, and even the guy who did it said we probably shouldn't have done that. The uh, I can't think of his name now. He was fired by Musk. Um, and uh, you know I, I I have no illusions that M- Musk is this raging conservative. He's not. He's a, he's a left libertarian. He he has uh, uh, has socialist tendencies but he cares about freedom of speech which the uh, management of uh, Twitter and YouTube YouTube is especially bad Um, the uh, uh, um, you know banning people for um, things like uh, quote unquote misgendering people (laughs) I always laugh about this uh, people who quote unquote identify as a woman or identify as a fuzzy or identify as some uh, um, androgynous being, that's all well and good. But there's a saying that we in the biological sciences have um, if there's a Y, you're a guy. Double X is the fair sex. It, it, if, if you have the right genetic makeup, you are a man. It uh, doesn't matter if you put on dresses and you uh, uh, put on eye makeup and, and pretend like you're a woman, you're still a guy. So if you call someone Mr., you can lose your YouTube account for a re- a failing to uh, refer to someone who identifies as a woman as a woman, even though he may be six foot seven with shoulders like a linebacker and uh, he just has uh, some eye makeup on, long hair, puts on lipstick an eyeliner, and a dress, and maybe pantyhose, high heels. Guess what, folks? They're not fooling anybody. It's sort of like the uh, head of the Department of Health who came out of Pennsylvania. This is what's happening, and it all boils back to D.C. Now, I started out, does God really, is God involved in government, and and does he really care, or is it? are we just out here flailing around trying to get things done? 
trying to find the best way to do things. Well, I don't know what's going to happen in the House of Representatives. I assume, now they went through a little bit of this with Mr. McConnell, but he won re-election to the, the leadership of the Senate fairly hands down, sadly, because uh, he is a and he's a terrible person and a terrible uh, majority leader. Too much money floating around in the Senate. But in the House of Representatives, I don't know what's going to happen. I suspect Kevin McCarthy is going to be a, a Speaker of the House and that he'll get there by actually undermining his own power base, which is good because the Speaker of the House has become far too powerful. When you continue to concentrate power in one place... Power concentrated equals tyranny. And uh, what those 20 are doing is holding out to at least reduce the amount of power. Now, why would they do that? Well, let's go back to my original question. Does God have anything to do with these things? Yes, of course he does. If you really don't believe that God has something to do with with government, then I, I want to know why the... Uh, the, the Bible talks so much about government. Now, I don't just mean we're going to start a discussion. I've been teaching a class. Many of you know I'm an elder at Providence Presbyterian Church in Pataskala, Ohio, uh, 7095 Summit Road, if you would care to uh, join us. Or you can go to providenceopc.us, and you can actually see a couple of our services. Our services are generally, we don't have technical glitches, are recorded, and we rotate them through on our webpage so you can see exactly what it is we do. Okay, I've been teaching, well, now, I'm teaching a Sunday school class and have been for several weeks. In fact, it's getting ready to come to an end. I've been teaching this class uh, called God in Government. Um, it's based on a book, actually a series of books, by an author named Gary DeMar. I've been teaching this for years. We used it in our home school. That's the name of the book, God and Government, a Biblical and Historical Study. You know, a lot of people, well, we shouldn't even be discussing this because God doesn't really care one way or another. God cares a lot. The way we opened this class is we had a discussion of what exactly is government. Before we even get into the types of government, we had to understand what government is. Government really exists, and you can tell a legitimate government by these characteristics. The characteristics, characteristics are sovereignty, which is the legitimacy to rule. And I gave an example of a fellow elder and I said, if we went over to another church in our presbytery and said, hey, we're taking over here. You got you elders clear out. We're in charge now. They would have every right to pick us up by the collar and the belt loops and throw us through the door on to the outside. But of course, we know better than that because we have an understanding of government and uh, it is legitimacy to rule. What does that mean? That means we're, we would, in order to really be able to, to be ruling elders, we'd have to be a member of the congregation. We'd have to be elected by the congregation. We'd have to be eligible for the office. So sovereignty is the first point. So keep that in mind, sovereignty. And uh, the second thing has already kind of been mentioned. It's representation. That's accountability to the rule of another. In other words, 
even though I'm an elder, a ruling elder, I am accountable to whom? I'm accountable to God because I am a representative of God to the congregation. I'm accountable to the congregation. I'm accountable to the my fellow elders. And I'm accountable to our uh, to our presbytery. Uh, I can be disciplined by the presbytery. Why? Because there are just because I've been elected does not give me a this unlimited authority to go about and do whatever I want. I'm limited to biblical limits on my power and. Uh, confessional limits on my power. We are a confessional church. We are under the tenets of the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, the American version. Now, go to the next part. Okay, so we've got two parts, sovereignty and representation, and we go to the next part, and that's law. Law. A moral code by, by which to rule. Do we have that? Yes, obviously, we have the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. We have the Bible, primarily the Bible. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith is by far secondary to the Bible. Uh, all it is is an attempt to uh, concentrate the biblical uh, powers and limits and uh, responsibilities and rights into a, a small format that, that can be easily accessed. That's what the confession is. We confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so we've got the uh, Bible, the the Westminster Confession, the American version, and we've got the church bylaws. I can't wantonly go out and, and violate the church bylaws. It just, I I can't. I I would be up on charges. Now, how how would we be up on charges? You know, who would who would I report to? Who would I be tried by? Well, I'd either be tried by the session, which is the meeting of all the elders, or if uh, um, there's a problem there, too many people recuse, I could be tried by the presbytery. Um, and uh, the presbytery is the is the is a, a regional uh, grouping of churches. Um, if you don't know how Presbyterian government works, it's a regional grouping of churches. Um, that meets as elders, uh, teaching elders, which are pastors and, and college professors and those kinds of things, and ruling elders, which is like me. Uh, I'm, I'm ordained as a ruling elder, not as a teaching elder. It means I can't, I can't take the pulpit to preach. I can take the pulpit and, and exhort. I, I realize it doesn't sound like much of a difference, but pastors are professional men with the word of God and I am would be considered a a layman and not a a professional expert it's it's sort of like uh um I can wire my own house but if I really want it to be, to be done right I need to have I should hire an electrician to come in and and at least supervise and tell me what to do right so there you go we we now have sovereignty representation law Jurisdiction, and again, this goes back to that question: Can can the fellow fellow elder and I uh, walk into another church in our presbytery and say, "Hey, you fellas, clear out. We're taking over." No, because a jurisdiction is authority to enforce sanctions in the name of the ruler. 
well, who are the rulers? It's the elders. <laughs> and the elders have said, well, you guys can't do that. The presbytery would say, hey, no, you can't do that. And the bylaws would say, you can't do that. And the confession would say, you can't do that. And the Bible is very clear that we can't do that. So here we have sovereignty. That is legitimacy to rule, representation, accountability to the rule of another, law, a moral code, jurisdiction, authority to enforce sanctions in the name of the ruler, and finally, continuity. Now, what is continuity? What, what, why does that in here? Continuity is, a, is about stability and longevity of government. Now, we talked earlier about... Uh, um, this whole mess in the in the uh, in the House of Representatives. What's going on with the continuity? The, the Kevin McCarthy would argue, well, it's always been like this. Uh, it needs to remain like this. Uh, you guys need to, uh, you know, uh, kowtow and and bend to my will. And and no, it hasn't always been like this. And that's the whole point. The, uh, the 20 conservatives are arguing for we want stability and we want longevity of government. And the way to do that is not to concentrate power in a few hands. There is a, uh, you know, you could argue that uh, uh, the uh, legislature has sovereignty, which they do. Because they have legitimacy to rule. Who else is going to make your laws? They have representation. They are representatives, even though the number of people they represent is getting way out of hand. Um, they have accountability to the rule of another. They have law. We have the Constitution of the United States of America, which they operate under. And, and also their own internal uh, rules. Um they have jurisdiction, and that's an authority to enforce sanctions in the name of the ruler. What good would a legislature be if their if their laws had no teeth? And we've seen what happens when you pass laws with no teeth. Nothing. Or the chaos continues. The the reason you pass laws is to is to uh sort of put a cap on on chaos and things that are going on that shouldn't be going on. And of course they they are working on having continuity and stability. Here's what what we know. One of the reasons we have these speakership battles every couple of years if, if the legislature changes hands, even when it doesn't, you still have to elect a speaker every two years as a new Congress comes in. Okay? That happens every session. You have to reelect the speaker. It's only a big deal, especially right after now when the, the House has changed party hands. Okay, so what's this continuity and longevity all about? This speakership thing has been going on since the country went over to the constitutional system in 1789. There's, it's been constituted and basically our legislature is modeled on a deeply modified version of the house of commons in parliament the senate is closer to the uh, to the house of lords it's sort of a tenuous connection because we don't have lords in the united states of america lords are hereditary titles 
We don't do that, and we've never done that. And in fact, it's forbidden in the Constitution to take a title of nobility. So, uh, but senators were always supposed to, before we modified the Constitution badly, I'm, I'm afraid, the Senate acted as the state's representatives in Congress. So, in other words, the only the reason there are two senators from every state was that they, those they were designed to represent the interests of the state governments, not the people, the state governments in the federal government. Okay, well, we changed that to being requiring a direct election. Some states did that. Some states allowed the people to to choose senators, but a lot of states appointed senators, and they appointed that continued right up into the yeah nineteen I think nineteen twenties. States appointed the senators and could recall them at will if they failed to uh, fulfill their obligation to represent properly in the federal government the state interests, they could be recalled, and many had been in the past. Um, now, one of the issues that people said, well, the Senate seats aren't always filled because the states sometimes have trouble appointing those representatives, and they did. They fought over them the same way that the uh, uh, factions were fighting over, right now are fa fighting over the Speakership of the House. In state legislatures... There were factions that were fighting about who was going to hold the power in the Senate in Washington as the state's representatives. So sometimes these ballots would go on and on and on and on. In any case, that's, that's what we have. We have an attempt at continuity and stability and longevity. And it may not look like it. But it is. And that may not look stable, but it is. Because once that speaker's in place, now one of the things that the uh, the conservatives are fighting for has to do with this. Once the speaker's in place, it's very difficult to get him back out. Currently, it requires to remove a speaker of the house. And there are good reasons to remove a speaker of the house. Uh, it requires, I believe, that five people are required to join in to call for a vote of no confidence. What the conservatives want is, no, anyone should be able to, any single member should be able to offer a resolution of a vote of no confidence. If the House of Representatives votes, according to the rules, for a, a vote of no confidence, you can remove a Speaker of the House and replace him, him or her. It can be done. Has it ever been done? No, it's, it hasn't. <laughs> not, to my, not to my knowledge. It has not been done. And that's because of party loyalty and that kind of thing. But well, look, what, what would happen if a Speaker of the House, and, and we've had a similar situation. I'm not going to say who. We've had a sim similar situation where uh, a Speaker of the House has really become senile in the office. It has become... in. Um, well, let's put it this way. Senile, non-compass mentis, not really mentally competent to hold the job. And people were propping him up and telling him what to say and telling him what to do and this and that. That's not really being Speaker of the House. That's basically being a puppet that's manipulated on a string. He should have been replaced. 
He was not. Uh, his term was ending, and they just decided to let him ride his turn out uh, with him as as uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, and that does happen. But remember, again, we, we're trying to do stability and longevity of government. Yeah, you could argue that uh, not removing an incompetent leader isn't very stable or longevity. Well, it is. it would be for the longevity of the group. Uh, the stability of the group, yeah, would there be a little chaos as a new speaker came in? Of course there would. Uh, it's ridiculous to think anything else. They should have a succession plan, but will they necessarily? No, no, not necessarily. So in any case, so we, we, we need to look at the all these things, sovereignty, legitimacy to rule and all that. Look, we all know Romans 13. Romans 13 became prominent. One through seven became prominent. Uh, uh, a lot of churches talked about it during the uh, uh, the pandemic, and uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, controversy. I'm not going to get into that here. Barry and I talked about it on our show. Uh, sovereignty and legitimacy to rule. Romans 13 makes it clear that government's a real thing. Uh, there are other places. Uh, Isaiah talks about the uh, government being on this on the shoulders of the the man who was to come. What does that mean? And again, we need to uh, we know what government is. It's those five things: uh, sovereignty, representation, law, jurisdiction, and continuity. All legitimate governments have that. And God is saying in Romans thirteen through the uh, writings of the Apostle Paul. That yes, government has a legitimate place and function. Okay, um, and again, in in Isaiah, uh, but many, many, many other places, uh, Exodus um, sets up some of the, uh, the rudiments of government there, with uh, uh, Moses' father-in-law telling him that uh, he's killing himself. Judging these cases, he needs to, he needs to set up. Uh, a jurisdictional hierarchy. Okay, <clears throat> that's fine. What are the, um, <clears throat> since we now know that there are other, uh, there are governments, and we've been talking a lot about civil government, but there are actually four, and maybe you could, could argue five governments. There are five types of government which have different jurisdictions, and different sovereignties, uh, different laws, uh, different kinds of representation, but they all seem to have the same qualifications. How do we know that? We know that for places like First Timothy 3, like Exodus 18, uh, all throughout the Bible, there are places that lay out the... Uh, uh, the jurisdictional and uh, um, sovereignty issues. Uh, think about First um, Timothy three. Well, what does First Timothy three talk about? It talks about the qualifications for the office of elder. Well, when you look at a ruler's qualification in the Old Testament. What do you know? It's the same. 
It's virtually the same. The same thing for family government. Now, what what we implied with laying out those things, there are five legitimate separate jurisdictional governments, but they all interact. They all interact out of necessity. What are those five? You have God's overarching government. God, God's overarching government has all sovereignty, full sovereignty, all representation, full representation, all law is in his hands, and full, the fullness of the law. He has full jurisdiction, all jurisdiction, over everything. And he is, has full continuity. There's never any chaos or anarchy at God's governmental level. There's never any loss of jurisdiction. There's never any loss of authority. Never. God is in control. Okay, I think we all acknowledge that. Uh, you know, we're on. We're essentially broadcasting to a Christian audience. There may be those outside that audience who would beg to differ, and I would say that they are incorrect. Nonetheless, there are those. God's overarching government has all that okay what are, what's the next form of government well think about this go all the way back to creation genesis 1 we can see god's government work i mean he he sp he spoke the words and things came into being so what's what was the last act of creation uh, uh, during the Genesis uh, one? What 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 was the last thing that got created? What was man? Was there a government there besides God's at that point? Was there? Think about it. Did God give the man commands? Yes, He did. He told him to work the garden and to keep track of it. And what else? Not to eat. You, you can eat everything in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So he already had a law he had to obey. Now let me ask you, what kind of government then is at work? The government that is at work here, if you think about it, does he have a family yet? No, he doesn't. In fact, Adam has to go around and name all the animals, and, all, uh, and none of them were found to be helpmeets for him. So the only government that um, Adam has to deal with is the governance by God of him, and he has to know how to govern himself. Why? Because God has given him a set of instructions and laws, and therefore he has to govern himself to not 
eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now we have God's overarching law, there's one, and we have self-government. Is self-government still intact? Well, obviously. I mean, it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> um, yes, self-government is still intact. But what happens like next? What's the next creational um, um, activity that goes on in the Garden of Eden? God looks at man and says it's not good that he is alone and he creates from man, he creates woman. Why? She is basically to be his helpmeet and to complete him. And he's given authority over her. I realize that's a controversial topic. I don't, uh, well, you can't argue with the Bible. He gives God authority over his wife and tells him to teach her. So, what do we have now? We now have God, Adam, Eve as individuals, and then Adam and Eve as a family. So our first three governments are God's overarching government, Self-government, which now both Adam and Eve have to uh, have to engage in. And third, we have a family government. Well, what's Adam supposed to do? He's supposed to teach his wife how to um, comport with God's commands. And what's her duty? Her duty is to comport with God's commands and Adam's commands. Now, if Adam was to uh, command her to do something outside of God's commands, does she have to uh, comport with that? And the answer is no, she doesn't have to comply because it's sinful. Anything that Adam would would um, order her to do outside of God's law would be a sin. Okay, think about think about it that way. It would be a sin. Now, how does do things fall apart? What does Eve do? Adam commands her not to eat from the. Uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, who comes along? The serpent. The serpent comes along and says, you will not surely die. And look at it. It's great for food. And she eats. And the Bible's very clear on this. She gives it to her husband who is with her. What does that mean? Was he there when the serpent was talking to Eve? Well, it doesn't say that directly, but that is certainly an implication if she gives him some to eat and he was with her. It certainly implies that he he heard too. Okay. What does that mean? That means 
that he sat and listened when he should have, if he was going to completely comport with God's rule, as soon as the serpent uh, tried to legitimize the breaking of God's command, he should have taken his wife and run as fast as he could away from there. Now, Eve, for her part, sort of proves that she doesn't really understand the law necessarily very well. Because she says, uh, we're not, not supposed to eat it, the fruit, nor are we to touch it. God did not command that they not touch it. God commanded they not eat it. So what did she do? She added to the law, which actually made it easier for the serpent to do uh, exactly what it is he wanted to do, which was deceive them into sinning. Now, Adam again is standing there doing nothing. So the command from God was, as soon as you eat from this tree of good and evil, you'll die. Well, what was Adam doing while he was watching his wife eat the fruit? Sadly, he was using her as a guinea pig. He was going to see if she really did drop dead. And when she didn't immediately drop dead, he said, Oh, well then, uh, we got lied to. This isn't going to happen. Now, what kind of death did occur? In the moment they both ate. Spiritual death. They really did become dead to God. Physical death? No. Adam may have been sitting there thinking to himself, now, if she eats it and drops dead, I know God will give me another one. Just like her. Or or maybe an improved version. Did God promise he would do that? Certainly not. He did not pr uh, promise to do that. And uh, um, for very good reason. God is very clear. You obey my law or it's spiritual death. And the fact is that um, um, they became spiritually dead the minute they ate. And uh, it, so the laws we now have now, God did find, did work out a way for them. Of course, God had this all worked out from the before the beginnings of the world. He knew this was going to take place. I realize, again, some people find that controversial. God knew they were going to sin, uh, and he, had a, 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 he already had salvation worked out. That being said, uh, we're, we're now down to th uh, basically three basic laws, uh, governments. God, God, self, family. Um, what comes after that? Well, think about it. What happens in Genesis 3? Or uh, I think it's Genesis 3. Uh, uh, Genesis 3 or Genesis 4. Who, what, what happens that we begin to see the need for another layer of government? Actually, two layers of government. 
when you think about it. Um, Cain and Abel both bring a sacrifice. What is the act of sacrifice? The act of sacrifice is an act of worship. Does God govern worship? Well, my gosh, folks, uh, at least two, two entire books of the Bible, three actually, three, not quite entire, but three books of the Bible talk about God's requirement for worship. Numbers and Deuteronomy are essentially about uh, both uh, civil, civil authority and, and uh, ecclesial, ecclesiological authority. Um, and how the, exactly the worship is to be done. And he's very precise about it. And what happens, for instance, when uh, Nadab and Abihu uh, offer strange fire? Nadab and Abihu are immediately struck dead. Why? Because they offered fire outside of the jurisdiction the order, the law, uh, the law, the jurisdiction, the, the sovereignty of God. And what were they told to do? Do not mourn them. Why? Because they wantonly and openly disobeyed me. So now we look, Cain and Abel, they both brought a sacrifice. Um, Cain's was not acceptable, and Abel's was. Well, what was the difference? Well, we find out later in Scripture that the difference was the heart attitude of Cain versus Abel. Abel brought it with a glad heart and brought the best of his flock to God as an act of worship. And Abel said, yeah, okay, I'm, I, I know my obligation, so I'm going to go do it. He didn't want to, but he did it. This is all about how God wants us to worship. So now we have a law of worship. Does that law go grow as we go along? Yes, it does. Okay, we're at a stopping point. There's another level of government. What we're going to do is we're, we're going to talk about this some more next week. And by next week, hopefully, we'll have a Speaker of the House. <laughs> and we can talk a little bit about that. But we, I think we've beaten that horse. You, you, you get what, what I was trying to say with that, um, I think. Nonetheless, next week, we'll start up with uh, the other form of government, the last form of government that comes up out of Cain murdering his brother Abel. And how that grew as well. So, remember, please, to pray for my brother Barry Sheets. And uh, uh, pray for me as well, that I can continue to do these things. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking to do these by yourself. I'm used to the banter Barry and I always have. We've, we've had that for our entire friendship. And we, we always go back and forth. And I miss that deeply. So, please pray for my brother Barry, that he might be able to return to the air with me here before too long. And you know what we think, and we want to know what you think, www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com, and I would ask that you join me again next week for another Principles and Policies.